Happy New Year. Good seeing you guys. I uh, hope you guys had a blessed Christmas and New Year's with your families and friends. Uh, today, uh, I'll be preaching from Ephesians 3, uh, verses 14 through 21. Uh, I'll read it for us, and we're going to the time of the message really quick afterwards. All right, Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Now let's uh, pray one more time, and uh, we'll go into our time of the message. Uh, thank you again, Lord, for this time of gathering uh, especially this time where we get to get fed by your word. This is your living word. You're alive and active even right now. So awaken our hearts right now, Lord, through your spirit uh, so that we'll not leave this place unchanged. God, we cling on to this new year. Your, your word is life. Apart from you, we can do nothing. So God, um, gather our hearts right now and give me strength the power that I'm about to preach about so that I can uh, model uh, what you can do through a sinner and weak vessel like myself. So Lord, uh, strengthen this church through the, through, through the word of yours. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's go right in to our message. Uh, three points uh, for uh, to help you follow along. Uh, first, the attitude in prayer. Uh, second is, I have to write it down on the first page. Um, so attitude and the fruit in prayer. And third, the expectation in prayer. And the title of the message is the prayer to the Almighty. First, the attitude in prayer. Uh, Look with me to verse 14. It says, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Uh, please zone in on to the, the three words with me. For this reason. Uh, what that means is that there's a background uh, to this passage. The background to Paul's prayer. Uh, that's what this passage is all about. He's praying to God. The background is that the verses leading up to this passage uh, talked about how there's a mystery of the pagan Gentiles versus Jews uh, being brought 
into the church by the grace of God, by the work of Christ. And now the Jews and the Gentiles are one in the same church. And Paul is blown away. And now, because he saw God's mighty work in that work of uniting uh, Jews and Gentiles in the church, uh, he is bowing down. He is bowing his knees. Why? He is humbled by God's majesty and power in that. So that's the background. And now, uh, another word to focus on in this word is the Father. Um, though he's you know, in awe of God, but at the same time, he experienced intimacy because in Christ, believers are no longer the enemies of God because of sin, but he, the believers are called beloved children who have unhindered access to God in prayer. So Paul is coming before God in awe and yet in intimacy, in, in comfort even, and in peace. But the word father in our passage actually has further meaning than just intimacy. So look with me to verse 15. It says, from Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. In the Bible, we often see, and in many perhaps traditional cultures, uh, fathers uh, give their own offspring, children, names. That's their prerogative. Uh, essentially displaying that uh, these kids are mine. That's what they're trying to say. And that those kids belong to the family line and family name. Likewise, here Paul is saying that God the Father you know, names every family in heaven and earth, meaning you know, all angelic beings in heaven and also all humans, you know, sinners and you know, uh, righteous all alike. By that, God is declaring that he is the chief progenitor of every you know, being in the universe, and they find their common ancestry and origin in God. And in turn, he's also saying that these are mine. God is saying, I created every single one of them, every single molecule, these are mine. And lastly, furthermore, as the creator king then, he's proclaiming that he is a sovereign creator king. He has the power and dominion to do whatever with his creatures. That's what being a father means in this context. So again, this explains further why Paul is bowing down before the almighty king, he has to rightly surrender himself and directs his prayer to God. Why? Because he knows, he believes that he's almighty to answer his prayers. So Paul bows down. What we see in this, in this point and uh, verses is this. The first step in prayer if we're approaching God to pray, the first step is that we have to acknowledge that you know, God is the all-powerful, exceedingly fundamentally greater than us. He's not like us. We're not God. We have to admit that we are helpless without 
His provision in our lives. Without, you see, that attitude, we cannot pray, right? We don't need God if we think that we can provide ourselves. And that's, my friends, the problem of this generation, this, this world these days. We don't think we need God because we have technology and all these things that we think can you know, provide us things that we need. We deceive ourselves. The truth is that we have to admit that God solely is the provider. Apart from him, we die. That's the truth. And that's how we can pray. Attitude in prayer. Um, you know, several weeks ago, uh, Deb and I had a really bad stomach flu. Um, and you know, thankfully, it was not COVID, but it was so bad. Uh, you know, it really wiped both of us out for a good few days. You know, we were both puking. I hadn't puked in a while. I'm sorry, you know, if you had eaten before this, but I puked a lot. That did more, actually, and, and we couldn't eat anything normal for those few days. And we couldn't get out of bed, and we were literally moaning for those days. You know, before this happened, you know, I had a grand plan of how I was going to use those few days. You know, first I was going to, you know, you know, plan for some, some logistical things for the church for, you know, to plan for the new year. I had a list of people I wanted to meet with. You know, I, I had a few events to attend. And, you know, I also wanted to get a head start on the studying for my lesson exam coming up in the, at, at the end of January. So I had this grand plan. But then I got sick. And I felt like I was dying, so I could only, like, literally barely breathe. That's how I felt. And then I realized, it hit me. I'm not trying to, like, spiritualize this, but I, it really hit me at the time. I realized, wow, I am not God. You know, I'm not in control of my life, it, although I thought I did when I planned all these things out. You know, God can do whatever, I, whatever he wants with my life. He can trash my plans at any time. Uh, and it also reminded me of my college days. Let's tell the story really quick. You know, when I first arrived at my college campus in Illinois, you know, 300 miles away from home, uh, I was so ready to go all out at partying. I was so ready to get wasted. You have no idea. I was so eager to enjoy the freedom that I gained away from my parents and, and so forth. But then I got really sick. A doctor suspected that it could have been a really bad case of strep throat. So I, I couldn't talk literally. I kid you not. I, I couldn't talk for a few weeks. I had bad fever. I was puking. And it was just really bad. And when I hit the rock bottom in the middle of those few weeks, I literally sat up on my bunk bed in my dorm room, and I prayed, God, I'm sorry that I was going to go all out partying. God, if you heal me, I will dedicate my college years to pursue hard after you, not partying. By the way, I'm not judging partying. I'm just, this is a personal story, okay? 
And God always answers these kind of prayers really well. So literally in a few days, I was completely healed. I could talk. I could do anything. And, you know, as funny as this was, this was really my turning point uh, in my spiritual journey. I might not be here, uh, truthfully, if it wasn't that sickness. I don't know about you guys, but in my life, it seems that God uses, you know, certain sicknesses to, you know, get me out of the delusion that I'm in control of my life. And he tries to wake me up to the reality of who truly is on the throne in my life and in the world. So let me ask you before we move on, you know, what has God done in your life perhaps to graciously humble you? and wake you up out of the delusion? You know, could it be your career plans not working out as you had perhaps planned? Could it be that your travel plans got frustrated? I think that happened um, quite a bit this past few weeks, right? And could it be that you know, you're thrown into a hole, whatever that might be, a, a very difficult situation in your life that you couldn't get out of? What is it? Unless, again, we acknowledge and submit to uh, his sovereignty, we cannot pray. Prayer requires humility. The attitude in prayer. That's what Paul is displaying here. Second, the fruit in prayer. Verse 16 it says this. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So Paul is praying that God would grant this prayer request, which is that uh, his very spirit, Holy Spirit, would make the Ephesians believers uh, strong with his own divine power in their inner being, which is their hearts, as we'll see in the next verse. So the power that he's that's what he's asking for. And now that sounds good. You know, we all want to be powerful. Uh, but what is the uh, object of the power? You know, what is the goal of this strength that Paul is asking for? So we see that in the next few verses. Follow with me. Verse 17, it says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. So, so that meaning as a result of the Spirit strengthening the believers, as a result of that, Christ now dwells in their hearts through faith. Now, it's not easy to understand at first, so I have to hash out a few things to understand what this is saying. Uh, two things, in fact. First, I believe in this verse that when it says the Spirit strengthens the believers in their inner being. Paul is talking about uh, God strengthening our faith in our hearts. So hold that thought. It's talking about strengthening of our belief and faith in, in Christ. Second thing to hash out is Christ dwelling in their hearts does not mean that uh, Paul is praying that Christ will enter into uh, the believer's hearts right now. Because the Bible says it is at their conversion 
that Christ enters into the hearts of the believers and he stays there forever. Meaning that Christ, at, at the time of this prayer, Christ is already in the lives of the believers. You know, when they ask for strength, Christ is already in there. Rather, the word dwelling in the verse means this. It means settling down. Meaning that, you know, Christ will no longer float around, so to speak, within the believer. He's in there, but he's floating around, so to speak. But that he will find his permanent and rightful place. He will settle down at the center of the believer's lives. So to sum up, what, what Paul is saying is that the Holy Spirit, you know, what, when he strengthens believers' faith in Christ, from that faith in Christ, the believers will now, you know, trust in Christ, you know, invite him to, you know, settle down at the core of their hearts as the Lord and the driving force of their lives. The difference there, right? You know, Christ is being there, but now in faith, they invite Christ to be at the center of their lives. That's why the next line in the sentence says that they're now being rooted and grounded in love. Meaning that now that Christ is at the center, because you know they believe in Christ now, they trust him, now they're secure, they're rooted, like root going deep into the ground. And they're also grounded, meaning the foundation of Christ is solid. They're not moved by their emotions, their failures, circumstances. They are firm. They're secure in Christ. They're secure in love, it says, meaning that they know that Christ loves them. They know their identity is in Christ. They're firm. And now, again, follow with me. With that state and direction, now that they have firm identity in Christ, that makes all the difference. Verses 18 and 19, it says, that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. It's a beautiful verse, isn't it? The, the, the breadth, length, height, and depth are talking about love of Christ. The, the, the dimensions, how vast Christ's love for us is, and their knowing is obviously not just intellectual consent. It says, knowing the knowledge that surpasses knowledge, meaning this knowing is experiential. So Paul is praying that now that Christ is you know, secure in your heart, you're now able to uh, experience how much Christ loves you. So to sum all it up, you know, God went through the Holy Spirit, strengthens our faith in Christ to actually live the life that's driven by Christ at the center. Now, through that, God brings about true spiritual growth in the believer. 
Now you understand. You can really go deep into Christ's love for you. You can progress. You can grow high and deep and, and wide into his love to the point that God fills you up. He becomes your life. That's the result of having power in your faith. Um, so Aladdin, um, I think it's good that we're not playing the video. I think it's pretty long, but it's a, it's a, it's a famous scene uh, where so Jasmine, Princess Jasmine, uh, you know, is just hanging out on the deck, on the balcony, and then Aladdin shows up with the magic carpet. And then he says this. Anybody remember what he says? Yes. He says, do you trust me? And then Jasmine realizes that she knows him. You know, they ran into one another. They hung out and they actually got to know each other to the point that, you know, she found him to be trustworthy. And then, here in this scene, she takes the hand. And then she gets on the carpet. And then what happens? A whole new world. It travels around the world and just sees all the beauties of the world, right? Because she took the invitation to trust him. And that's what's happening in this passage. You know, it's, it's as if Jesus is holding out his hand to believers, asking, do you trust me? Can you trust me enough to, you know, settle me down at the center of your heart? And if the believers respond and grab the, heart, the hand of the Savior, the promise is that they will experience a whole new world of his love and joy. It starts from your faith being strengthened. It all starts from there. Let me give an example of this. Uh, just back to my college story. Uh, so after I got sick and you know got healed and committed to pursuing after Christ instead of parting, you know I experienced a very tangible growth in my relationship with God. I think my college years are very formative, uh, looking back. And at one point, I mean, after, you know, 15 years, right, it's, I'm 35 and I was probably 20 around then. After 15 years, I still remember this one particular day. Uh, I was walking around the campus uh, with my uh, iPod shuffle on. Uh, iPod, iPod shuffle, if you know what it is. Just listening to some, you know, Christian music, right? I was just doing that. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, uh, there was this flood of sense of joy and peace in my heart. It's a true story. No exaggeration here. This flood of emotion of joy and peace. And I just stopped in the middle of the sidewalk, I remember. And I just smiled really big because I never felt so happy in my whole life as then. And I started walking again to get to my destination at the time, but I couldn't contain my joy to the point that I was just like smiling. I couldn't stop smiling on the way to my destination. And I, probably people who were passing by thought I was 
crazy or creepy or something, but I was just so happy. And I think what happened before that was this, that you know, while I was listening to the Christian you know, worship songs and I was just you know, singing in my heart and I was praying and just, you know, again, having that soft heart for God, like, God, I want more of you, I want more of you. And then, bam, I came to realize that God held my life. You know that feeling? It's like, wait, why do I worry about grades? Why do I worry about my future? God has my life. If I die right now, I, I, I'm going to have more of him. If I continue to live, I'm going to have more of him. Either way, I'm going to win. I'm going to live. When I got convicted of that, meaning, again, my, when my faith was so strengthened by spirit in my, in my, my heart, I couldn't contain my joy. The peace that I felt, I can never forget, to the point that I'm sharing this with you right now, after 15 years. It all starts from God strengthening our hearts through faith. It's as if, again, you know, I held Jesus' hand in faith, and he showed me the whole new world. And he does that to each one of us when we trust him. So let me ask you, you know, would you like your faith in Christ to be strengthened this year to the end of you experiencing how wide, how long, how high, how deep Christ's love for you is? Do you desire that? And the passage uh, seems to suggest three things that we could do uh, for the strengthening of your faith. So follow with me here. Three things I find in this passage. First, prayer. Uh, you know, because, again, go back to the first point, because he humbled himself and told God, I'm, apart from me, I'm nothing. Lord, I'm bankrupt without you. You know, give me and give these Ephesians friends, you know, this strength that only you can provide. Because he admitted his helplessness. You know, God would grant that wish and, and there would be tremendous spiritual growth. Prayer, humble prayer. Second, the word. Romans 10, 17 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. What that means is the Holy Spirit, when he strengthens our faith, he doesn't just do it in a vacuum many times. He does it through the means of grace, which here we read in Romans that it is the word. He uses the word to ignite our hearts. And lastly, the community. Verse 18 says that you are to com comprehend with all the saints, with all the saints. Paul didn't use those words, you know, just lightly there. With all the saints, what is breadth, length, height, and depth? The word saint in Paul's letters simply refers to regular Christians like you and, you and me. Just regular Christians who are in Christ. Meaning that in order for our faith to grow, it takes other believers who can encourage you and challenge you to grow. And in that regard, 
how precious is this time right now that we can be together in, to be encouraged by our presence and also life groups and all the, all the opportunities that we have this year together. Those are all faith-building moments for our faith. So may God bless you in Christ you know, this new year through your prayer, through the word, and through community. And we're in this together in our growth of faith. And, and lastly, the expectation and prayer. It's going to be a short point and yet powerful. Uh, verse 20, Paul says this, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us. So Paul here is bursting into praise right now. He's marveling at the fact that it's nothing for God to bless us. It's nothing for God to uh, increase our faith and deepen our walk with Christ. He can do so much more, so much more. But next verse, he talks about how it's not just about individual Christians. It's about the church. Verse 21, it says, To him be glory, he's worshiping God. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Meaning, he, God, his main focus is his church, the corporate body. God uses his Holy Spirit to build up his church on earth. Again, we saw earlier that God you know, saved the Gentiles who are far from him. Through Christ, he incorporated them into the church. That was marvelous in Paul's mind. Likewise, God resurrects strolling Christians everywhere in the world in order to make his church, the corporate body, into a mighty army of faith. In other words, we can expect, that this is, here's the point, Paul is saying, raise your expectations. You can expect in prayer that God can bring revival in your lifetime, into your church. There can be revival where you know, Christians and non-Christians come to faith and grow and experience supernatural growth and salvation. Raise your expectation because God is able. Uh, share a quick story here. Uh, Robert Murray uh, McShane, uh, there's a picture. Um, yeah, that's him. Uh, a famous Scottish pastor and theologian from 1800s. Uh, old guy. And 1835, and he became a pastor at uh, St. Peter's Church, very famous church in Scotland, in Dundee, Scotland. And he had a, a you know, strong desire as a pastor, a theologian, to see revival in his church and in his city. Strong desire. So apparently he started a weekly Thursday night prayer meeting. And with a great zeal, apparently he preached the, the God's word faithfully. But unfortunately, nothing 
happened in those you know, first four years while he was a pastor there. And people were apparently not responsive to the point that he recorded saying, uh, there seems a little thirst for hearing the word of God among Christians now. And there is very little harrowing in of the seed by prayer. I mean, you can kind of hear his discouragement there. People are not responding to his preaching and um, you know, prayer meetings, and there's no revival. To make matters worse, around that time, God called McShane away to join a mission trip for six months, so he had to be away from his own church. And at that point, he might have asked, you know, is there hope for Dundee, Scotland? Is there hope for my church? Is there hope for my city? But while McShane was away from his church, revival came. Uh, in the August of 1839, at uh, one of the Thursday prayer meetings, you know, while he was away, another pastor preached, and McShane you know, recorded what happened later, saying, the power of God seemed to descend, and all were bathed in tears. And apparently the same thing happened on the next day, and then the next day, and it happened almost every night. And soon it seemed that the whole city of Dundee was converted. That's how it felt, apparently. True story. Meaning God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or imagine in our wildest imagination. He can, he will, he should, he, he wants to, he desires to, he wills to revive his church and display what? His glory and his power when all hope was lost. That's what he does. So let me ask you, church, CLC, could we expect the same for our church this year? Can we raise our expectation? Not because something is feeling good at the moment, but no. Do we trust God? Uh, you know, personally, looking back this past year, 2021, I remember like a few minutes before the, the year was turning, Deb and I were just looking at each other like, oh man, <laughs> a lot happened this past year in our church and in our own lives too. And I can say with confidence and with gratitude that even through those many things that happened, God was faithful, like we sang earlier. And I believe that God's been healing our church slowly but surely. And as we look forward to the new year, um, you know, Here's my hope. My sincere hope is that our church will grow to be a healthy church. And we got some work to do. You know, membership is coming up, and we're trying to build a good foundation for our church. And it will take lots of conversations and teaching and, you know, many different ups and downs, perhaps. Uh, but we got to do it together. But ultimately, it takes God's power to do what we cannot do. 
through that, my hope is that you know, as God blesses us, as God heals us, we will truly become the healthy church in which um, you know, we genuinely uh, witness our faith, strengthened with God's power, and really experience how wide, how deep, how high, how long Christ's love is for each one of us and for our church. Let's pray together. I think what Paul is saying in this passage is very simple, that God is much more powerful than we could ever realize. And when we humbly ask Him, He is capable, more than capable, to restore and revive each one of our hearts to know Christ's love. And He can heal the church as a body as well. Now, could I ask you, in light of the last point, uh, I trust that you know we will pray for you know, ourselves, you know, um, as we walk out of this place. But when we are gathered <clears throat> here right now as a church, uh, could I ask you to pray for our church? You know, with, with human plans, nothing will work out. We must turn to God. And if you call CLC or church, could you gather your heart and pray? Bring this church up to God and ask Him to mend the wounds that we experienced last year. Pray that God would give us wisdom and strength as we move forward. Pray for unity. Whenever you know we do anything in any group, you know there's always a discord. Differences are good, but I think Satan can sometimes use the differences to divide the church. Pray for unity. Also, if you pray for love, pray for our, our members to experience Christ's love for them so that they can love one another. It starts from Christ's love. So whatever it is, whatever comes to your mind right now, could I ask you to pray for our church. Let's gather all of our hearts and may God assure our hearts as we pray even now and do beyond all that we can ask or imagine. Let's pray together. Before we finish in closing prayer, can I invite us to just surrender to God? I love you know, 1 Peter 5. It says, you know, cast all our anxieties unto God because He cares for you. Uh, all the burdens that we carry are 
never meant to be ours to carry. Just cast them onto God um, and let Him take care of all those things and trust Him. Invite Him into the center of your life. Again, for those of us who have been following Jesus, and let Him be the King and comforter of your souls. And we'll do it together this year as a church. But for now, before I finish in prayer, I um, just want to invite us to do that, practice that. God, have my heart. I have all these burdens to carry, but these, these are all yours, God. I want to rest in you, rest in your grace. Let's pray together. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for um, who you are. You are Almighty God, Father, uh, who is ever so intimate, uh, you know, calling us into your lap and, and resting your grace. Uh, and yet, uh, you are infinitely greater than we can ever fathom. There's no, uh, nothing impossible with you. So we confidently ask uh, you know, for the things of your kingdom in our individual lives as well as, well as our church. Lord, um, this is your church. You are the head of this church. Um, you know, may you provide for us whatever we need to glorify you. Your glory has to be seen in this church. Heal our hearts, God. You know where we have been. Um, but Lord, from there on, propel us to do your will in this world so that Christ's name be magnified in this world, that we'll have joy in doing your work as a church. Always surrender to you. Help us, God.